uh, we are going to start a series uh, that I've entitled uh, The Nine. And uh, the trigger from the series came from a conversation that I had uh, over a purchase that I did online. Uh, I made, I bought something on Lazada, and what had happened was, in the midst of um, this this uh, issue that we were dealing with, where there was uh, the wrong item being sent, and we were battling all of that, so um, we were not getting a very good response from what we bought and uh, from the seller. And so when we went to the necessary party. Uh, we were somehow not even being entertained. And so I decided to go uh, to the Ministry of Consumer Affairs. I think it's called KPDNK. Uh, and and um, I began to contact them and I said, look, you know, um, this is what's happening. And uh, would you please advise me what can I do? And they said, what went wrong? Explained to them, I said, you know, we bought this and we made this purchase and so on and so forth. And then, um, but you know, I'm writing emails to them. I'm sending in, uh, you know, information to them. I'm sending in them receipts and all of those things, but I'm not getting a response at all. And the guy over the other end of the phone told me, he said, sir, uh, because it has nothing to do with legality, we cannot take this case any further. So what he basically told me is simply that because this involved ethics, this had nothing to do with legality. This had nothing to do with regulation and law. This had nothing to do with the simple fact that they didn't send you the product or the product was not uh, um, given to you as uh, as, as according to the plan, uh, because it didn't involve any of those things, we cannot take this case any further. There's nothing much we can do because it doesn't involve legality. So I said, how is it that you can let businesses run in this nation when they have no courtesy to respond to their consumers? When they have no courtesy to answer the questions that consumers present to them? How is it that you can let businesses run with the lack of sensitivity to how their customers be, uh, how their customers respond? And interestingly, they said, there's nothing we can do. I said, is there any ministry, any government department I can take this up to, to bring this matter up with them? And he simply said, if it's ethics, there are no regulations or law in place to address that issue. And so I realized that in that same fashion, how many Christians get saved? They repent of their sin. They accept Jesus into their life. But somehow, in the verge of that salvation process, they still live with characters that are so unchristian. And I want to talk to you about that in this next nine weeks as we cover some subjects concerning character building of the Christian life. 
Because I believe that the Christian life isn't only about forgiveness of sin, but it also involves a changing of character. Can I say that again? That the Christian life doesn't only involve the forgiveness of sin, but it also involves the changing of character. So Christianity as we know it is holistic. We, can on, we cannot only deal with the legalities of it, that I'm forgiven of my sin. But unfortunately, when you see a Christian on the road or when you talk to a Christian that says they're Christians, it's sad but true that you find that they have very little ethics. Do you realize that people have no courtesy to reply you today? You send a text message and you hardly get a reply. It's like you're ignored. Right? Those are ethical issues. Those are, so, those are things that we have to address. Those are things that means my way of speaking, my way of conversing with people, my action should be a testimony. When people look at me, they have to know that I am a Christian. My character, when people see me, they expect a certain type of a response from me. And so Christianity is holistic church. It involves life in its entirety. And salvation is, the, is only the beginning. And we seem to be living amongst Christians that truly need characters to change. That somehow attitudes isn't pleasing to God. And so let's consider these thoughts here today as we go into the nine fruits of the Spirit. That's what we're going to do over the next nine weeks. And so I've called this the nine hallmarks of a transformed life. When someone says they are a Christian, you must expect these hallmarks to be present in their life. Amen. And this must be vitally seen in a human or in a Christian life. So let's go to Galatians 5. Let's take off from there and then we'll begin to dig a little deeper into this, okay? Galatians 5, 22 to 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So the Bible says if you say you are a Christian, if you say you are born again, if you are living with the Spirit of God in you, if we live in the Spirit, the Bible says, let us walk in the Spirit. So a person's character is as vital as his relationship with God. You should be able to see a character of a person and from that character, you should be able to say, that must be a Christian. A Christian behaves like that. A Christian person speaks like that. A Christian person says things like that. A Christian person responds like that. Are you getting what I'm saying here? 
In other words, if I cannot safely say, this is as important, your character is as important as your relationship with God. Another character, often characters dismissed from the equation while spiritual things are emphasized. So one of the great things people do today is we get people involved in church, we give them ministry, we give them, you know, something to do in church, but the character uh, remains unchanged. And I challenge you this evening, as we start this series off, we, we must realize and understand that they're both equally important. And this series will deal with those areas. Not only your salvation, how many times have you heard it said, have you been forgiven of your sin? And most people say, yeah, I've repented. Great. Are you living in sin? No, I'm forgiven. But when you look at their character, when you look at their attitude, then you wonder, does Christ really live in them? And this is what we want to address because often these areas go unnoticed. Our upbringing our backgrounds, our culture. We have different attributes and characters and we may look at it and say, it's normal for me to behave like that. It's normal. That's how my family does it. That's how my uncle or my auntie does it. That's how my father or my mother does it. And so we become so uh, uh, caught up in the fact that if that's how they've done it, then it must be right. But is that character pleasing to God. and The main purpose I'm preaching this series, I'm just starting up here. The main purpose I'm preaching this series, beloved, is so that we can examine our ways according to the Word of God and make changes where required. And so I remember many years ago, um, we rented a unit uh, where we're staying right now, and the man who came to show us the unit is that it's uh, he's uh, being the agent of the of, of that property uh, he came and showed us the unit uh, but after showing us the unit this guy is a head of some ministry a Christian guy head of some ministry around here and uh, he came but at that point of time even Yen and I we were considering the deal and all these things that were going on and we felt like, why is he behaving that way? It was so unchristian and so he, he would badmouth the owner. He would gossip and slander the owner. He would begin to say things that were very instigating. He had a very unrighteous way of dealing business and years went by and I began to find out he went and told a lot of people where I was staying people came to church and I remember I said you're the pastor staying in there I said who told you so and so I was like what's wrong with you what's wrong with you? if you're a Christian you don't behave like that and so this comes from all of these encounters, and I will share with you a lot more. <laughs> but there are things that people expect from us as Christians. You don't expect to come and share something with your pastor for me to dry your dirty linen in public. Amen. That there are things you come and tell me that stays with me. 
because I'm a man who understands privacy and confidentiality. There's certain things that stays. And I want you to understand that that's important, as equally important as your Christian relationship with Jesus Christ. So let's talk about the subject of love. Because that's what it is today. The first fruit of the Spirit. And I'm not going to delve too deep into the subject of how God loves us and what is God. No, no, no. The next nine weeks, all you're going to hear from me on the subject of the fruit of the Spirit is what it is requiring for us to do. So when we talk about love, how does this subject of love play out? How does it express in my Christian life? How do I show people my Christianity through my love? And so let's look at two verses of Scripture first, alright? 1 Corinthians 13, verses 13. Jeremy, I gave you 13, 13, right? Okay, yes. Okay, and now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Love is the greatest among faith, hope, love. The greatest is love. 1 John chapter 4, verses 8. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Okay? So to be characteristically, uh, characteristically, characteristically, okay, never mind, forget it, just, just forget it. I put, you know, I know the word and I put it there, but he just can't pronounce it for whatever reason. So to characteristically, <laughs> to be characteristically like Christ means to live with the love that He reverberated. Alright? A love that carried incredible purity. Genuineness without motive. This is what we have to identify. The Bible says God is not filled with love. The Bible gives us insight that God is love. Not only can we speak of it, as God is love, but can we also say love is God? Technically, in context, God is the embodiment of love. You want to know what love is? You heard that song. You want to know what love is? Jesus will show you. It's true. You don't know pure love until you met Jesus. He's the one who truly loves you. He's the one that will embrace you irregardless of what you've done in the past. He is the one that will redeem you and receive you with open arms, willing to work upon your life because He is the embodiment. He is love. So this is what we have to establish. Our God is a God of love. If anything can be said about Him, the Bible tells us the greatest of these three is love, number one. The Bible then tells us that God is love. So when people begin to look at Christians, they expect Christians to reverberate love, to echo love. But today we look at Christians around and there's so much of judgmentalism, so much of condemnation. And I'll talk about that in a moment. But this is the type of love that Jesus exemplified. 
I preached a sermon a while ago. You remember the story of Zacchaeus. The Bible says that Zacchaeus climbed a tree and in the midst of all that people that were there, something drew him to Jesus. What drew him to Jesus? The love that Jesus began to portray to humanity. The love that came without words. The love that was felt even without the speaking of words. And I declare to you that this is a rare sight today where people would love you without expecting in return. Obviously, most people want to love you because they want something from you. Am I right? This is the culture today. This is what everyone sees out there. That's why it's sometimes so difficult for people to accept that as a church, we love them even when they can do nothing in return for us. That's true love. We, you don't come to this church and say, oh, they love me because I give. No, even if you stop giving, we love you. Even if you didn't do anything in this church, we love you. Because God didn't call us to only love the people who do something. God called us to love everybody. And this is indeed a sign of His uh, it's, it's a sign of his disciple. Uh, uh, the Bible tells us in John 13, 35, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The virtue that emulates God, the very thing that displays God to the world, when people see Christians uh, displaying and, and beginning to uh, uh, echo the spirit of love, people begin to see Jesus in us. How can you love someone who is so irritating? <laughs> That's God. That has to be God. How can you love someone who again and again and again offends you? Only God can do that. Because the love of God is, is agape. It's unconditional. That means the love of God doesn't, doesn't require something from us in order for us to have it. Do you realize that God loves all the sinners as well? That His arms is wide open. His love for even sinners is wide open. Listen, beloved, this is what we call agape love. Redemption is given. Salvation is given. But when a believer permits Christ to reside within when we let Jesus in our hearts, you remember what I'm preaching about. I'm not just talking about salvation. What I'm talking about here is if we truly say we are saved and born again, and if we truly say Jesus resides in me, then beloved, the evidence of that love will be seen in us. How do I know I'm saved? How do I know, pastor, that I'm, you know, I made some statements recently. I got some text messages asking me these questions. They say, pastor, what you're preaching on really disturbed me. And I begin to ask the question, am I going to heaven? Am I making it to heaven? You heard me make some statements recently. I said, what's, what's the assurance you're going to heaven? I think it's not only the forgiveness of sin, but a change of character as well. 
that these are signs that when you can love someone that is unlovable, that's a sign that God is really in you. When you can really love someone who is annoying, painful to you, just, I can't curse, unfortunately. <laughs> but you get what I mean, right? So if you, if you, if you can love someone like that, what does that tell you? Oh, there must be a God in me. <laughs> because I can't do that naturally. Are you with me? That's my challenge to you. Let's look at that. Galatians 2.20. The Bible says, this is Paul's words, beloved. I've been crucified with Christ. What does he say? It is no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me. And this life and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what is Paul saying? No longer do I live, but Christ who lives in me. What did the Bible say? Who is love? God is love. So if the God of love resides in you, then love can come out of you even in the hardest of times you can still love. It's not easy, obviously, because we have the flesh and we have the spirit man operating against and with us. We have a battle that's ongoing, right? So there are times you're going to feel frustrated, angry, upset. You're going to blow up. You're going to say things that you should. But then you come back, you retreat to a place and say, no, I shouldn't have responded like that. I should have responded with love. And so when Christ lives in us, the evidence, beloved, becomes noticeable. We can begin to love people who are nothing like us and can do nothing for us. This is indeed a working of God. This is an evidence that God is indeed living inside our hearts. As mere men, we know it is difficult, beloved, at times to love and to serve them with love to develop a genuine love in our hearts for a person who is constantly going down the wrong path, to have a genuine love for someone who has maybe stabbed you on the back, to have genuine love for someone who you know is not genuine in their intentions. They are pretentious. They say, oh, I love you. Or they tell you stuff like, yeah, you can count on me. Or you know what, I really, really like doing this and all of that. And it's all just sweet talk. And you know what they're saying is not true. And you can still, in the midst of that faking, in the midst of that pretension, you can still love a person that you know that's faking it. That means God must be living in your heart. Because it's not humanly possible. It's not humanly possible to love someone who offends you. Are you with me? It's not human. So, so are you, I hope you're getting what I'm saying. Let alone the forgiveness of sin. We, we can all say tonight, I've asked God for forgiveness. I've come to... But are we truly changing and becoming more and more Christ-like with love in our hearts. How do you respond when someone says no to you? Do you backbite, gossip, slander, hit on them? Or do you respect their decision? See, we're not a church that condemns. We're not here to condemn anybody. 
Everyone is supposed to have the freedom to choose what they want to do. If you don't want to come to church, I can't do anything. That's really up to you. But I'll not backbite about you. I'm not going to stab you on the back. I'm not going to say, oh, that, that, and I'm not going to do that. It's your choice. The love that God puts in my heart and the love that I want God to put in me is a love that indeed I have to strive to have no matter what people do around me. I have to have that love. I have to develop that in my heart. Now let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, that's what they call it. And we're going to begin to dissect some of these things that we find in this passage. The scripture says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I become sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long, love is kind, love does not envy, love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, it's not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. But, ever, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. So Paul in our passage begins to list down some of the artworkings, the outworkings of what love is. In other words, when we, when we, when we claim to say, oh, there's love in me, we got to look at this list and begin to examine if truly there's love in my heart. He begins to give us some insight. The question is, do we echo what Paul begins to list down here? Can we truly say that my speech is seasoned with love? You know, one of the, and I know I'm touching on something very sensitive, but I've been, I've been made aware on the radio. I thought it was just something that, you know, it, it, it dismissive, you know, um, but the truth is, one of the things we do in Asia is we, we, let me say this very carefully, we may have not met the person in a long time, and the first thing we see, or maybe we just met them, say, wow, you're so fat, ah? It's a pretty rude thing to say. Hey, why, ah? You got no job yet, ah? What's wrong with you, ah? Why? It's quite a rude thing to say. Amen. I hope you agree with me. Because, because sometimes you don't know the person enough, you hurt them. You hurt them. And once you've hurt them, there's no way of redeeming that back. I was just watching some videos this week of kids that are being bullied in school where you have friends that are laughing at them and condemning, why are you so fat? Why are you eat so much? Why are you not hardworking? Why are you so lazy? 
hey, why your mother like that? Why your father like that? And mock and criticize them. They don't know what they're saying. They say it and these kids begin to talk about suicide. That's not love. That's not love. I know I'm touching on a very sensitive subject. I mean, it's different when you have a relationship. If someone knows you and they say things, it's fine. I've had people make comments and I, I'm, it's fine because of the relationship I have with you. But when you barely know someone and then you make a comment like that, hey, why you're so lazy? Why you talk so much? Why you look like that? Why you're so dark? Beloved, I've ministered to so many young people and I can tell you, they're so hurt deep down in their heart. That's not love. I hope I'm preaching some sense into us tonight. That's not love. If you're a Christian, you should strive not to say things like that so abruptly and randomly. You should strive to speak with love. You should strive to speak with care. Because the outworking, beloved, these characteristics are so missing from Christians today. You just look at the list. What does Paul say? Love, right? When you begin to study the scripture, you see that there are a few things Paul begins to mention in verses 1. Chen Kuang, go ahead and put verses 1, bro. I just want to show the congregation. The Bible says, I have not love. I have become sounding brass or a clanging. You see, he, Paul is saying, you can have all the giftings. You can be talented. You can sing. You can dance. You can be the best worship singer. You can do all of that. But you know what Paul says? If you have all of those talents, but you cannot love people, it's worthless. If every time you open your mouth, you chase people away, it's worthless. If every time you say something to someone, it condemns them, it humiliates them, it discriminates them, it's useless. There's no love in that. Amen. As Christians, we must strive to be stewards of what we speak. We must speak words of love to people. Yeah, they may be wrong, but we must strive to be disciples of Jesus Christ that portray and profess love from our mouth. Paul says these things, right? He says that when love truly resides in us, he says that there will be an endurance. Love is enduring. You see, there are things we face in life and with especially with people, you see, love demands endurance. That's what a marriage, a picture of a marriage is, right? How many know that sometimes your spouse isn't the person you expected them to be? And then you become so frustrated and you're upset, but you see, endurance is a form of love. Saying, I'm going to deal with this, I'm going to put up with it. I'm going to deal with what's going on. I am not going to give up. That's love. The Bible says love is patient. 
Love bears all things. I can preach a whole series on this, but obviously I'm just going to hit and miss here. Uh, love believes all things, the Bible says. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love is humble. It's not pride. It's humble. It's filled with humility. Love is not envious. Love is not boastful. Love is not arrogant. Love is not rude. Love does not insist on having its own way. Love is not irritable. Love is not resentful. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. You see, kindness rejoice with the truth. Beloved, these are attributes that portrays the subject of love in a human, in the heart of a Christian. This is the type of love we must strive to have. This is why I'm preaching this because character, go again, characterically, characteristically. Okay, I will sit down this whole week and try to get that. You know, Google has this thing called the pronunciation one. You know, so I will go and see how the how they say characteristically. I think I'll say it right. Okay, but by the list alone. By reading this list, we can see how much God expects our response. Can you tell? God is saying, this is profound and insightful. In verses 3, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 3, Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, how many times we attribute sacrifice to love? And we say, oh, look at the sacrifice the mother and father are making. But, you know, as I'm reading, I'm, I'm reading and I'm beginning to understand, we've made the mistake. Sacrifice doesn't necessarily equal love. Because just because I sacrifice for you, people say, oh, wow, they sacrifice so much, that means they must really love love. No, maybe they feel a sense of responsibility. What is true love? True love is beyond just the sacrifice. True love is an internal, internal element that says, you know what, I do this because of true, genuine love and I expect nothing in return. I'm sorry to say this, but how many parents work jobs Give their family everything they want. Children are blessed, but they have no time to spend with their children. But that's true. That's true. This virtue of love reminds us that it involves our behavior, our attitude. That everything we speak should be seasoned with love. That, beloved, this virtue of love demands for human character to be completely dependent on God and on His strength. That in order for me to really love someone that's not my child, not my wife, but to just love someone with agape love, unconditional love, it demands that there must be God in me. This is a call tonight as I close. We examine our hearts tonight. We must ask the question, am I all of the above? Where am I at on my love 
walk right now? Have I chosen to give up? Have I chosen to say, you know what, that this is not, you know, that there's no patience in our speech. The Bible says love is not rude, but there's rudeness and you've got to change from that. The Bible says that love is no arrogance. That we think we are all that and we forget where we come from. That's not love. When we talk to people, do we speak with arrogance? Like we know it all? See, these are character that God changes in us and makes us even more like Him. See, this is why we must come and investigate our intentions. Pioneering the church in the early years demanded from Yen and I Time and time again to learn the lesson. People ask me, why, why have you become so compassionate to a certain... Sometimes I get upset and I say things and I begin to say, you know, they, they do this and they do that. But deep down in my heart, I retreat and I remind myself, God, you know what, I'm grateful. And sometimes they look at me, you can ask these guys on ministry, uh, they, they will tell you, you know, sometimes it, it's like, why, why are you so compassionate with people? Why? why? Why do you give them a chance over and over again? Because I think it's true what the Bible says that one of the greatest lessons Yen and I had to learn in all those years is that we've had to learn to love people even when they didn't give us the time of the day. Even when they were so ruthless and rude and, and, and they paid no attention to us and they would respond not to us and, and in material, there were people that we can begin to remember today that were filled with excuses, always making and justifying their reason of not rising up or the lack of fire for God, the inconsistency, the lack of faithfulness and yet we had to again and again and again again and again choose to say, we will still love them. This church is not a building process only for your life. It is a building process for my wife and I. That in the times when we were offended and upset with things that were going on, we've had to make the decision to say, I choose to still love them. As much as I feel like snapping and as much as I feel like just saying what I want to say, as much as I feel like just blowing up and calling them and telling them something, you know, there are times that we make the decision where emotions begin to kick in. Can I tell you, beloved, at times when you feel like you just want to do that, love triumphs over your emotions. You say, I'm not going to do that because I genuinely love them. This is maturity. Maturity is when love can triumph over emotions. When you can serve people that are otherwise not like you, then love truly is present. So let me ask you this question as we close. Do you strive to have this in your heart? That means, God, I, I know I've not loved people genuinely, God. So how do I know? What 
is the litmus test. Oh, I thought I preached for 59 minutes. No, 39 minutes and six more minutes to go. So don't, don't, don't get too excited, okay? Stay calm. Six more minutes. The character of love in action is seen in selflessness. Okay? How do we know that? Luke 10, 27. Let's, let's close with this passage. So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Right? And your neighbour as yourself. You've got to love your neighbour as yourself. <laughs> as yourself. Uh, read that again, okay? Love your neighbour as... Now, we got a lot of self-love people here. We love ourselves a lot. To love the person next to me as much as I love myself... <laughs> and Jesus said that's the second greatest commandment. The question now is this. Will you say what you told them to yourself? See, it's easy to be rude to someone else. But will you do the same thing to yourself? Are you getting what I'm saying here? You know the golden rule? Treat them, treat others as you would have them treat you. So the challenge here is simply this. If, will I send a text message to myself like that? Will I? Will I talk to myself like that? Will I judge myself like that? Hey, why are you so stupid? Will you? Yeah, you need counselling. <laughs> we'll talk after service. I have some things I need to talk to you about. <laughs> That's discipleship. You give them left, right, centre and they bounce back. But, but the truth is, will you do the same to others? Will you speak the certain way to someone else? Will you say the same things to, them, to yourself? Jesus says, love them. Would you allow someone to be stranded in the open because of your refusal to give them a lift? Will you do that to yourself? Changes everything, isn't it? It really changes everything. You won't do it to yourself. And this is what Jesus is saying. You have to strive to get to that place where you love them enough as much as you love yourself. For most of us, we can admit, I will never say that kind of things to myself. I will never treat myself like that. I will never do that to myself. I'll never speak that kind of rude words to myself, but we do it to other people. That is the only way to identify the character of love in our hearts. When love for others is the same as the love that we have for ourselves, when we are willing to do what is best for others, just as we are willing to do it for ourselves. Love this evening, beloved, is action. It is sensed, it is felt when people genuinely love you. I pray that when people get around me, I don't want to be a condemning person. 
I don't want to be a judgmental. When you get around me and all I ever want to do is correct your mistakes. Hey, why you do this? Hey, why you do that? Hey, why you look like that? Why you look like this? I want to be a person that can express love to the point that you are comfortable to talk to me. And that's my challenge to you. That when you get around people just like Jesus, even when he said nothing, Zacchaeus got saved because they felt his love. John 3.16 says this, right? For God so loved... I didn't give you that scripture, uh, uh, bro, so don't worry about it. But it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. He loved and He gave. See, when you love, what are some of the actions we must see? When you love, you will learn to be a witness. You will tell someone about Jesus. Because when you have love for them, you realize, I cannot bear to see them go to hell. Your love for them will truly drive you to share with them about Jesus. I have to admit, I've not been witnessing a lot. I feel horrible. I feel horrible for not doing it. But I'll tell you, beloved, if there's true love in us, we will make every effort to tell everyone about Jesus. When we see someone struggling, we will walk up to them and say, hey, you know what? I may not know a lot, but I want you to know that there's a God in heaven that loves you. He really wants to help you. Can I share my story with you? Love will drive us to witness. Love will drive us to witness. Love will triumph over selfishness. When love exists, it will triumph over... The Bible, Paul already said that there will be love overrides selfishness. Love, beloved, overrides stinginess. Why do we give? Because we love the church. We love it. Why do we channel finances to conference? Why do we do that? Because we love Pastor Campbell, we love the conference body. Why do we channel finances to our mother? Because we love our pastor. We love our mother. We love. We express it through our giving. When I hear stories, when I begin to hear pastor share things with me, needs with me, he's just sharing casually. And I realize, hey, I can't let my pastor deal with this. There's love. There's love. Love triumphs over all of that. Love overrides irritation, anger. We're saved, beloved, but still have no love. We cannot see people beyond their circumstances. Stop judging people. Can I tell you that tonight? If you spend some time with people and you begin to know what their background is, you'll probably understand why they behave the way they do. Oh, they just come to them. You don't know them. Don't judge them. You have no clue. There are things I know in this church as a pastor. And I know personal stories. I know the struggles people go through. People sometimes just run their mouth. Stop it. Show them love. Go up to them and say, Hey, can I get something for you? Is that... Can I help you with your lunch tomorrow? Can I buy you a meal? Maybe that will be a blessing. That's love in action. 
So, we have to see people beyond who they are. We have to see people beyond who they are. When there is an absence of love, how can they truly say, I close with this, that God lives in us. If I had no love and you had no love for the church, how can I say God is in me? The evidence that God is in me is not just my salvation. I said a prayer, I got saved, but I am becoming more and more a person of love. I struggled to love this person before. There's no one there, huh? No one there, so I'm not, not pointing to you, bro. I'm just pointing this chair here. I struggled to love this person before, but now I find it easier to love them. What happened? Something is changing. I struggled to serve in picking, sending before, but now I find it easier. Why? Because there's love. I find it harder to give before, but now... I want to give. Why? Because there's love. There has to be a change. There has to be a change. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 16, 14, let all you do be done with love. People must come to church and they must feel loved. Amen. When they talk to you, they must feel like they are loved. And I challenge you to develop that character in you. What are we going to pray for tonight? God, I want to start becoming a person of love. I want to love people. Help me to not be rude. Help me to not be nasty. Help me not to be a gossiper or a slanderer. Help me, God, not to be judgmental. Help me to be careful with my words and to show love and make me a person of love. Can we pray that this evening? Bow your heads with me. No, I went a bit long, beloved. I just start off the series. I wanted to say some things before we begin. But I thank you for being here and I thank you if you're watching online. I challenge you in the next eight weeks afterwards, after this, that you and I will strive to come and allow God to change our character. We'll talk about joy. We'll talk about peace. These are evidence that God really lives in us. These are signs that God really resides in us. There, there are moments where human beings, we are going to feel moments of anger and hatred and moments of irritation. But your heart has to continually grow in love for people for church and the things around. You must be, you cannot just settle to say, oh, I've accepted Jesus in my life. I'm forgiven of my sin. Okay, next what? You've got to be a person that's becoming more and more Christ-like. 